Welcome to FRP Carecast, a brand new podcast brought to you by FRP Advisory. Every episode, our experts explore the health of adult social care across the UK. Utilising our existing knowledge, we'll dive into the key themes underpinning the most pressing factors impacting care homes investigating staffing and restructuring, and unpacking the impacts of ESG, digitization, and innovation. Join us as we speak to leading experts in the field who are intimately involved in working in the sector on the front line. Thanks everyone for joining us today. Uh, My name is Matthew Flower. I'm a corporate finance partner here at FRP. Today's podcast is going to look at the role of technology and digitisation, um, as well as the growing importance of ESG in, in healthcare and in particular the care home sector. We've got a great bunch of panellists with us today who will no doubt have some very interesting insights. I'll allow them to introduce themselves individually. So over to you, Ed. Yeah, hi there. Uh, it's Ed Moore here. Thanks for having me today. I'm one of the partners at Anavo Group. We are a care home operator. My background is actually commercial surveying. um, So I've kind of slightly stumbled into the healthcare sector, but I think that brings its advantages. In a previous life, I worked in commercial real estate, doing investment and development management, and then set up Anavo Group in 2019 with my two business partners, Jamie Braganza and Tom Brooks. Hi, morning. Max Weitzman from Octopus Real Estate, where I'm a senior investment manager working on the Octopus Healthcare Fund. Uh, We own the real estate of about uh, just under 100 homes across the country now, let out to just over 30 operators providing really high quality care. The fund is an impact fund seeking to address the societal need uh, of the undersupply of quality care beds across the country. And we have a commitment to achieve net zero on all of our developments by 2030 and for the whole fund by 2040. Yeah, morning. My name is Richard Harris from Colliers International. We're a global real estate consultancy. I am director and head of capital healthcare capital markets. So I've been involved in the space since the early nine, early 2000s, principally around care homes, but across the um, diversity of, of healthcare from private hospitals through to supported living and senior living and, um, and care. So the um, purpose of today is, I, I guess there are two subject matters to cover. One is ESG, very, very broad, but also we'll touch a little bit on technology and digitisation in the sector as well. I think the important thing for us to look at is, you know, how attitudes are changing in relation to these two areas. So, you know, if we can look at how things were pre-pandemic, whether the pandemic then uh, has changed matters and how we think uh, things might move into the future. If we start with ESG first, as I say, very, a very broad church, lots of areas to cover there. But Ed, if it's okay, we'll start with you. Have you seen a change in attitude towards how operators, funders, investors uh, look at ESG, both in light of the pandemic um, and the strategies to address ESG as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, I think certainly it's become a lot more visible, a lot more prevalent. You know, the the funds that we work with, the two funds that we work with, both have an ESG agenda, which is something that I think is expected now. In terms of whether it's more prevalent now, post-pandemic, I think you know, from an operator perspective, the pandemic was obviously a a significant challenge. And I think it was almost a case of somewhat back to basics there, you know, just kind of keeping, 
keeping things going. I think even though COVID is still around, you know, we're starting to sort of come out of that that cycle, hopefully. Um, and it's definitely kind of more back on the agenda. I think some of the things technology-wise that were implemented by operators with the view to kind of being more COVID secure actually have an ESG benefit as well. So there's kind of a dual um, synchronicity there. So yeah, I, I definitely think that um, it's, it's, it's definitely more on the agenda and, and operators are now starting to find the time to sort of um, prioritize it. And Max with a sort of uh, in, investor head. Yeah, I think I think I touched on some very good points there. During COVID, the you know, the environmental still, we've, we've seen some real strides forward over the last few years, COVID or no COVID on the environmental development um, of, of, of care homes and moving the green agenda forward and really trying to make a difference there. Um, during COVID, I think it's where the S of ESG really kicked on and you saw the importance to society of providing really high quality homes with high quality operators um, where you're able to see residents isolate successfully and really help with the you know protection during COVID. So yeah, I think we saw some real benefits there and that's a real important thing, making sure that the homes coming forward, the care homes over the next few years, and we don't like to say future-proof because future obviously does, does change over the years and things are going to continue to move on, but making sure that the homes that are being provided out there for, for the residents in our country are, are high quality and able to really withstand COVID. And from your perspective, yeah. Richard? I think on the for the investors that we work with, absolutely. I think COVID really put spotlight on social care, which meant that we've certainly seen an increase in interest and appetite for for care investment from the mainstream pension funds, insurance and the wider market. So globally, uh, we've seen an increase in, in capital looking to invest in the sector. So um, I think in that respect, COVID has helped because any investment into care in terms of real estate is, is got to be a positive. ESG clearly is continuing to build momentum going forward. And I across across the board, pretty much any sophisticated investor will have ESG as part of their mandate. Question whether some of the less sophisticated, some of the private investor market that we also deal with and operators have that same Focus is is one to be seen, um, but I think as we move towards 2025 and beyond, I think it needs to be on everyone's anyone's list priorities. And as an operator, Ed, of the three elements, the E, the S and the G, which do you focus on more when you're just day-to-day running of the business? Uh, is it the built environment? Is it the social element, so inclusion within local communities and embracing the local community? Or have you got investors who are totally focused on the governance and you reporting to them and, and being compliant? I think a lot of operators are actually doing, a lot of the good operators are actually doing ESG-based operational models anyway, but they're just not necessarily aware of the, the label that goes around that. So, you know, I think it's such a people-person business. So the social angle is definitely probably the focus for most operators. Just coming back to COVID, you know, it's obviously, we, we, we sort of see the social aspect in terms of in the framework of you know stakeholder engagement and and you can have internal stakeholders and external stakeholders and our internal stakeholders are obviously our residents but also our staff so that's a key factor for us making sure that both of those stakeholders are you know looked after frankly i think unless you're a developer as an operator you have slightly less control over the built environment Obviously, there's things you can do to enhance buildings um, and retrospectively refurbish buildings, but a lot of the E, e can be built into the building on design stage, um, which is something that Anavo is doing. 
so that's that's a bit more limited to certain types of operators i think and how about you max yeah i think you know, all, all three strands have particular importance for for the investment side at the moment the the natural areas where you can break the biggest difference probably is the E and the S. The G, obviously, you want to make sure the operators uh, are running the home with you know, really strict governance protocols and are doing the right thing. Uh, not just when people are looking, but they're doing the right thing the whole time and operating a real high quality of care. And that's why we have our own in-house clinical assurance team that will go out and see all of our homes every year, spend time within the homes, spend time with the operators to hear what their plans are, see their strategy documents. Um, the Octopus Healthcare Fund is an impact fund, so committed to really making an impact to society in that manner. And that's a key strand for us to make sure that you get a real high quality of care. From an environmental point of view, the, the fund at the moment, uh, probably 65, 70% of, of the assets uh, we we acquire are forward fundings or forward commitments. So we come in at the pre-development stage and then there is an opportunity to really, um, you know, push on with the, the, the net zero agenda. At the moment, we are we're working with a developer to build the UK's greenest care home, which will be net zero on operation and also really getting down the embodied carbon within the development itself through, you know, various protocols like recycled steel and more efficient use of concrete. But a lot of it will come down then to the operator and how they run the home. Because obviously the build period is important, getting the development is, is correct. And that's a key thing to get done right because yeah, there's a, a lot of increasingly low-hanging fruit there that does need to be captured uh, in the build period. But then a home might be run for 50 years and you need to know that your operating partner uh, that is running the home on a day-to-day basis is going to be prioritising making sure the home is as energy efficient as possible, minimising uh, waste, uh, minimising energy usage where they can. And we work well with, with Anavo and other operators on making sure that uh, those particular uh, targets are met. Because I guess on the, the built environment, I forget the exact, exact stats, but there's probably only about 20% of the care home housing stock that's been built in the last 10 years, I, I guess, uh, or even 20 years. Is there a risk that a lot of uh, homes are not going to be fit for purpose going forward and therefore the E element will increasingly become the focus? I think that's correct. There's a lot of older stock out there and yeah, the, 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 the figure you're talking there is, is roughly correct. The homes being built today are typically larger between 60 and 80 beds, whereas a lot of the older stock out there is converted residential stock from 1960s, 70s and 80s, which are going to be less energy efficient. Um, the, the interesting stat that you know, we always see, which always surprises me, that despite the amount of real estate being built each year in the care home sector, the supply of beds each year still decreases. So more homes, older homes are closing, the new ones are being built each year, and there's still a massive undersupply uh, in the market of, of care beds. I think current stat's about a quarter of a million beds compared to future demand, expected future demand over the next few years is undersupplied. Uh, so yeah, the, the opportunity is there to make sure that the new stock coming through is as environmentally friendly and sustainable as it possibly can be. I guess that comes potentially with an incremental cost because as we move, as new technologies, particularly in the the built environment, are adopted, they may not necessarily be mainstream, they may be more expensive. So, So from a commercial investment decision, there may have to be compromises around that? To a point, but... Whilst the the embodied carbon in the home itself is almost a fixed cost, and yeah, you might you know halve the embodied carbon by using recycled steel uh, and you know, say a more efficient use of concrete um, in the structure. But equally, then the more efficient a home is to run over the long term, 
the operator will, will save quite a lot of money. Um, we're working at the moment, also includes the Octopus Energy business, and we're working at the moment with Octopus Energy to bring in a, a care home tariff, which effectively will try and make care homes effectively free of electricity by Octopus Energy putting in uh, PV cells and, and heat pumps into the home to reduce the, the requirement of the homes and also improve the efficiency of, in terms of what the homes generate. So, yeah, there, or there might be higher upfront costs long term over the operational period of the uh, home 50 60 years maybe up to up to that sort of level there'll be significant cost savings if a home is built right today and i think that's that's a that's an important factor because landlord tenant relationships that's always been key in amongst uh, funds and, and operators now with the esg factor you know as max says improving esg means reducing opex costs which should therefore benefit operator and also benefit the the investor so Certainly, I think that's that's a positive. I mean, just in terms of from the coalface where we sit today, I've not seen any. Um, we're coming on to specifics around pricing, but not seen any noticeable change in pricing. What we're seeing is that where one or two examples now where it's coming certainly coming in as a a request from from investor that your EPC rating is reduced from a from an E or to to towards a B, and it's just how that is dealt with. Whilst we're in a bull market, I think there's a lot of other areas which tend to prioritise. But as we're coming potentially coming into a bear market, the ESG agenda will become, I think, more. There's be there'll be some more teeth to it yeah. from an investor perspective. It's difficult to to suggest that there should be a pricing adjustment because EPC rating is is a level at the moment. I think a lot of the unsophisticated landlords don't appreciate what's what's coming there. So is is there a risk that some of the older stock can? almost become uninvestable and we may get a very polarised care sector. Yeah, we've thought about polarising in tiers, especially where the healthcare REITs and, and Octopus included are looking at green leases now. Um, so again, if they're looking to acquire a lease which hasn't got the, the green credentials within it, does that mean the pricing should be adjusted? Plus the older stock, as Max said earlier, which is coming out of the market, again, that it's already created. There's already a tiered, a tiered market to it. It's just, I think, going to accentuate it. From our perspective, the green lease is a real key point, and we do see some um, homes come to market which don't have a green lease. But typically, the operators that we want to be working with that have high quality clinical operation and you know sensible level head directors will look at the green lease and say, actually, that's perfectly reasonable and sensible. It includes sharing data on energy, waste, and water. And you know, using renewable energy sources, I mean, you know, renewable energy contracts, the sort of things Octopus Energy provide as well. And if an operator says no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to sign up to that. That probably tells us as the investor that they might not be, uh, might not be one for us. I think we we may have seen some pricing adjustment is is from the lenders. You know, so it's top of the the lenders' agenda and. I think it was evidenced by the growth in the debt issuance, which was up over 60% from 2021 to 2020 previous year. So lenders are tightening their margins for, de- for, for debt, so improving their debt offers for green green leases and gr- green buildings. So that should follow through to a pricing adjustment. So we've got a long-term trend in the market where ESG is becoming more and more focused for operators, for investors, for lenders. I guess the elephant in the room is we're, we're heading towards a recession. Is there a risk that there's almost a, a pause button pressed on some of the more positive elements of ESG as people, again, focus on a different set of challenges? The pandemic brought some challenges, but now post-pandemic, we're, 
we're in a tighter fiscal environment and it's, it's tougher to operate. So the focus has to be on other areas. Just to, to jump in there, I think particularly the S the S element of ESG, you know, if you're if you're doing if you're doing that right, and what I mean by that is, you know, if you're if you're retaining staff, if you're ensuring that the quality of the interactions for the people, the residents living in your buildings is is very high, then I think it it automatically translates to to good financial performance. So I think the homes that have more of an ESG focus, and to me the governance factor kind of brings keeps everything on the agenda. The operators that have that focus will automatically just do better in the market and therefore there should be a you know consequential value benefit to that, I think. You mentioned the recession. I think the key challenge at the moment for operators is availability of staffing and there is a significant staffing crisis in the industry. I think not talking about that would be a bit remiss for most of the care home managers uh, that we um, have. And I think that feeds into that social element which i think i've covered before but just to kind of reiterate you know it's really that whole employee journey um, and the benefit package that an operator can provide looking after your staff and, and making sure they feel valued and welcome is key because there's just such a, a challenge at the moment in particularly with nurses in terms of recruitment and that translates to the quality of care and then in turn translates to performance of the home which links into value so i think um you know, from an operator perspective, the, the social angle and getting that right is probably the biggest the biggest challenge we're facing at the moment. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, it is a challenge out there, but it just shows the importance of having a, a home that typically I think the sweet spot is usually around 70 to 80 beds in terms of staffing over two to three floors and making sure the design of these homes are right so you can provide a really high quality of care without needing to, to overstaff if, if your building is right. So making sure that is correct, which then feeds into the societal point. As an impact fund, our objective is you know, to consider the societal need and therefore, as the, you know, the country maybe does head towards recession and there's more turbulent times, that's probably more important than ever to keep focusing on that societal need uh, and the undersupply of, of care beds because the, the elderly population is, is not going anywhere in this country and neither is that level of undersupply. Um, so, yeah, we, we certainly won't be taking the foot off the gas on, uh, on in terms of the ESG agenda, particularly on the environmental side as well. There's, you know, it's more important than ever with energy bills skyrocketing to make the homes as energy efficient as, as possible. If they can generate their own power sources through PV and more efficient heat pumps, that will have significant cost savings in the long run um, for operators. So, uh, so no, it's... Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's more important than ever, I would say. Yeah, I think with all the headwinds, you can't deny there's there's issues right now going forward. I think any investor would be would need to be mindful of that. I suppose the overriding point, though, is, again, it's a lot of circular stuff we've already touched on, but supply-demand. So, you know, there is still a lack of good quality care home in, in the UK. And with what else is going on in the world right now, that is, again, that continues to be a focus. And especially then if you have NESG box ticked credential and EPC rated good or better, that supply is even even tighter. So hence funds should would still be looking to invest in that space. The, the, the question I had, which I mentioned earlier, was if you go into a, a, a bear market, you know, is there more ability to adjust pricing to reflect that because you haven't got You've got all the other issues that are going on right now. I still I still think it probably goes back to that supply-demand point, though. So it'll be an interesting one to see how, how it pans out over the next couple of years. 
as well as the sort of you know energy efficiency and all that element of the the e piece do you think there'll be a change in the design of care homes because uh, i think you went you know we certainly went through a phase where you walked into any sort of 90s built care home it didn't matter where it was in the country it looked as though it was exactly the same and built by the same people do you think there are going to be some nuances and and some some innovation in in terms of design to to differentiate and i guess p- partly is that depending upon the type of care that is being administered in a home as well. But are we seeing any of that at the moment? From an operational perspective, I'd, I'd probably let Ed answer, but I'm, I'm expecting that we'll see more homes coming through now, which just make that isolation point easier. Having you know, seen the impact of COVID and how important it is to be able to isolate, making sure each room has its own wet room facility so it is perfectly feasible, whilst not particularly pleasant to stay in within the same four walls, uh, for for an extended period, but it is perfectly possible. Whereas if your homes don't have ensuite facilities in all of the rooms, that becomes increasingly challenging. So I don't think you're going to see many homes being built that don't have those sorts of functionalities. In terms of sort of the wider you know, navel gazing on what future care homes could look like, there are there are plenty of theories and you know. Uh, papers out there, I guess, that suggest different types of care. Do you, the, the current homes we have you know, do feel like hotels? You go in, you have a really nice entrance area, often with a cafe now, and then a series of rooms on on two or three floors dotted out between day rooms, and also you, know, you find cinemas in there, games rooms. A lot of uh, care homes have pubs now. Is that going to stay the, the same uh, for the short to medium term, probably the long term as well. I don't see any massive differentiation from that. But you could see homes being built that have yeah, a different style of design. Do you have one central area uh, that has rooms off a central hub? Um, we've seen a couple of couple of designs like that that hasn't really taken off yet. But there's some, some good theories to say that could work for for different types of dementia. I think you know, the homes that we're looking to try and build are definitely focused towards trying to bring the community into the home, make it a a hub for the local area and I think the way that you can do that is by making it as accessible as possible so you're having amenities in the home that the wider public can use to try and reduce that feeling of social isolation and that's that can all be done quite cleverly around architectural design and and how you welcome people into the home and you know it starts from the outside really I think those are definitely a focus for us you know we have community hubs in most of the the buildings that we're building where the local community can come in and, and host events, so whether it's the WI or you know charity group or whatever, and that that is really focused towards just kind of getting that social turnover of people. So I think one of the big stigmas about care is that people feel that they're going to go in there and going to lose their freedom and ability to kind of be part of the community, and um, that's something that we're definitely trying to to fix in terms of design. Yeah, I think um, yeah, I agree with the guy's comments. Um, I didn't see any major major changes in terms of fabric. As Max pointed out, COVID certainly has had an impact um, on design. I suppose I think we're coming on to tech, but tech is probably the area where we see, you know, that's where the fundamental changes are going to be in smart tech, uh, LED, light sensors and the rest. So I expect it's going to be more subtle changes going forward. Uh, without, I don't think we're going to be building 120 bed care homes, for example. And I don't think we're going to go any, any smaller than we're, we're building. So it's, it's more so it's more than minute detail. So, I mean, it, you know, if you look at the, the care sector as a whole, going back probably as not as far back as just over a decade, it's absolutely been a laggard in terms of the adoption of technology. But but that pace seems to have accelerated quite significantly and quite rightly so. Do you think the pandemic has 
increased that pace and change and necessitated more adoption of technology? I think to a degree, I think the way I see technology is you kind of have um, forward-facing front-of-house initiatives and then things that are more back-of-house uh, elements that allow the, the building to run more efficiently. So in terms of COVID, obviously there was a lot of, there were a lot of innovation uh, or innovative elements that came in. So you had things such as temperature checking cameras in lobbies so people could come and have their temperature checked to make sure they were able to come into the building. There were other other elements in terms of access control, creating separate staff entrances so you didn't have that kind of um, issue of kind of cross-contamination and a lot of things that just helped the operator have more of a handle on infection control and their clinical side of the business, um, whether that was... Uh, electronic care planning or medical records or drugs administration or whatever so there's lots of things there that i think did get promoted i think now things are kind of moving on from that and the expectation for the, the next generation going to care is quite different to the one that maybe happened five years ago or, or, or is currently you know there's people are a lot more digitally enabled they're a lot more savvy about what they want and how they how they do things and you have to cater for that as an operator Otherwise, you're going to be, you know, non-competitive with other other operators. Do you think that things like use of technology and infection control, clearly that was there to deal with a specific challenge that was faced at the time, but do you think that seemed now become sort of structurally part of the way in which an operator works? It's, it's here to stay. I think, again, it's a tiered market. I think the bigger operators, the ones that have more of a kind of awareness of what's available, are doing these things quite well. I think you'd be surprised at how many, how much of the market is is still paper based, you know, not particularly efficient, but potentially still providing a very good quality of care. Technology doesn't always lead to to better care, but I think if you do it in the right way and it's effective, and you train your staff on how to use things, then yeah, it can definitely provide a benefit to things such as infection control. I think from from our perspective, the pandemic certainly. You know, not with the circumstances you wanted to happen, but it certainly saw the methodologies and practices in the homes jump forward at an incredible rate. Uh, in the same way that flexible working moved forward probably in 50 years in about one month, uh, because people were forced to, and the pandemic had exactly the same impact in in care homes in really improving some of the uh, infection control procedures out there. Um, we got the benefit of working with 31 different operators now, and during the pandemic, our clinical team were. Uh, speaking to them very, very regularly. Uh, and it was great to see all the operators sharing best practice on how to how to manage the pandemic. And obviously we were keen to be a part of that and help facilitate that as well. Um, so yeah, some of the some of the ways in homes of managing COVID was was really great to see things evolve. And I think they'll certainly be here to stay uh, as well. And the potential for technology then to help that process as well is, is significant. And we're starting to see some pretty clever things come through in homes. I think there was also an investment in operators' head office infrastructure. You know, when there's a practical side of things that you can't physically get into a home because there's a COVID lockdown or whatever. I think um, you know, there's there was quite a, a significant IT investment required there. Quite often it was at pace and it's still being integrated. But the things I'm talking about here are cloud-based file sharing, whether it's through shared Microsoft SharePoint again online sort of chat systems and rotor management so staff and and homes can talk to each other you know everyone's very very aware of uh, using teams these days 
So I think that whole side of technology, the software side and people getting more comfortable with being able to operate from distance was definitely enhanced. Having said that, it definitely doesn't replace being able to get into a home and walk the floors and spend time with your staff and your residents. I think the other benefit to having all of that electronic data is there's an ability to have that central oversight. The issue previously with paper-based information was you had to go into the home and, and there was a sort of lack of standardization. Now as an operator, and it feeds back into the governance piece of ESG, it's much easier to track performance, see where the issues are. As long as people are filling in the information in the right way, then you, you have much better handle on the, the kind of the key you know, KPIs, whether it's clinically or performance-based for the home. Um, just to kind of a push of a button, really. So that's that's definitely a, a big benefit for operators. I suppose operators are very mindful of OPEX costs right now. I'm just thinking as we're talking. Um, I'm not in the terms of detail on tech, but you know, thinking about OPEX costs and any any upfront costs that goes into tech is going to be a you know a, a, an issue for potentially for operators that don't have and you know, when they're paying staff and and staff is 60 65 percent of their overall revenue plus your running costs now which with inflation as we know and then if you're asked to invest in certain type of tech there's probably going to be some pushback there it's just educating them on the longer term benefit going forward that you will make some cost savings but it'll be further down the line um, smart buildings etc so I, I don't know how many are you know fully tech savvy out there with the half a million homes that are existing but um, I could just see that as being a, a potential hurdle I remember saying a few years back the care was it the care robot on stage at one of the presentations. Not quite sure whether that's actually <laughs> become a reality yet. Not, not seen that in one of the Anavo homes or, or any of the others. <laughs> yeah, and there's probably place hope we don't either. <laughs> it's not on order just yet. I think um, there's you know particularly with older buildings, there's there's never a, a short list of things that you could potentially spend money on whether it's upgrading, you know, your laundry equipment or your kitchen equipment or or just generally, you know, redecorating or refurbishing, you know, care homes are obviously quite heavily used environments and they require a significant amount of maintenance. So I think when you're looking at that tech piece and the benefit, you have to kind of build a business case as to how do we see this translating into improved performance. And I think that can be an indirect benefit performance in terms of does it kind of sell the home more? Does the resident feel more engaged? And that translates into better CQC ratings and, and, and ideally higher average weekly fees and people are prepared to pay some more money for that. So I think those indirect benefits are harder to, to measure, but you just have to kind of find a way of, of working out how that's going to translate to performance for the business. And then are you seeing technology things like four monitors being put into rooms and things like that? that, that uh, I guess take account of the increasing acuity of residents you know is that something that people are thinking about now or indeed implementing now definitely i think we we've put uh, acoustic monitoring has long been a kind of buzzword in the sector it's not particularly you know complicated technology it effectively allows the operator and the residents have that kind of peace of mind if they want to have it in the room so you know in our new homes we we build it in a standard and then it's up to the resident whether they and their family whether they want to have it active or not. Effectively, it allows you to monitor the, the room at night and during the day if, if needed, but typically at night. And then if there's a if there's kind of an activation, it's a centrally monitored system, whether it's via the nurse station, allows the, the nurse on shift to 
monitor noise levels. So if there's a you know an issue in the room, then that can be that can be addressed. And it has the benefit of not having to go into the room every every night and interrupt someone's sleep. And there's a, a health benefit there. So those kind of things are becoming more mainstream. I think there's the pressure sensors on the floors. You can see where the resident is in the room. And then also if they haven't moved for a while, you know, pretty quickly they may have had a fall um, as well. Those are those pretty clever stuff. We're starting to see those come through. Uh, we see one operator that have, all the residents have uh, sort of key fobs, proximity sensor on their wrists. So depending on their level of acuity or where they are, they'll know which doors they'll be able to get through and whereabouts in the home they can get to. So there's some pretty clever stuff uh, coming through there. And uh, obviously keen to see that continue to evolve over the next few years. And can you see things like wearable technology coming in as, again, as a form of monitoring, diagnostics? But then the question is, who pays for that? You know, is that something that's an optional extra sold to the to the resident? Or is it, you know, again, going to become mainstream over, over time? It's coming to the UK market. I think the North American market is quite far ahead of generally on most things uh, fortunately uh, they are quite far ahead of the UK market we we have a Canadian based uh, operating partner called Age Care who have they use biometric wearables in their homes and it's just a general move towards preventative medicine and preventative healthcare so you can predict fall risk you can predict issues around heart related heart attacks or um, hydration levels or, or all that kind of stuff so I think preventative medicine is definitely the way forward in terms of being able to price that everyone most people wear some some sort of apple watch or biometric watch so i think that is kind of more expected um so yeah i I definitely think that's going to become something that will will come through every operator has a slightly different pricing model and you can offer that as a base element or you can you can have a kind of add-on obviously the the costing for care has slightly changed now with what's going to be changing with the accommodation cost and care cost I think that will be interesting to see how those kind of add-ons then work into that. It sounds like there's going to be further polarisation. So there'll be those operators that are at the sort of leading edge and the vanguard of adopting new technologies and those that are still operating in the 20th century maybe delivering great care, but eventually they're going to be left behind and investors and funders, your solutions, if anything goes wrong there, are probably quite limited for those types of um, older stock and less tech advance? Yeah, I think, I think um, no, you're right. It, it is, it's already, as we said earlier, it's already tiered. And I think that, that type of product, um, the mum and papa type operator, it doesn't tend to be on the radar of someone like yourselves, um, Octopus and others. Um, so there is still absolutely a market there, but it get, tends to get traded from one to another. And the investor, the capital of the pension funds of this world don't don't invest so and that will just continue to you know that gap will continue to widen and you touched on north america being ahead of us any any insight on what might be coming down the line um what what are, what are they doing in north america that's sort of better or way more advanced than what's going on in the uk market do you think i mean canada is out is our kind of main testing bed really i think there the, there's a difference in the way that the public perceive care there's a slight cultural change there. I think they tend to have much bigger developments. So you'll have, you know, 300 bed home, but it's more of a kind of multifunctional space. So you might have a nursery and so some of the elements that we're kind of doing in the UK, but in a more condensed format, you know, I think the nursery care home um, partnership is quite 
quite a well-established one now. But I think the way the public perceive it is that they don't see it as a kind of crisis choice. It's more of a lifestyle choice there. And I think tech plays into that really. So our operational lead, she previously run a, a group in near in California and it's all about consumer choice and being able to provide that kind of high level product. So going back to Max's point around, you know, care homes looking like hotels, I think there is that service now and that that drive towards going towards the kind of luxury end of the market. And and you do see that in 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 parts of the UK. But there's just a, a big spectrum of pricing points in the UK. You've got your kind of local authority stock, 30 bed stock, which is struggling to, to frankly to kind of stay viable. And then you've got all the way up to your, you know, central London 15 bed specialist luxury care uh, environment. So the financial metrics there just allow you to do different things. So in a roundabout way of answering your point, I think um, it will just be that kind of move to to more choice, more luxury. And that will come through and as, as if you were buying a house, you know, the gadgets and the, the things that you could have as, as benefits to, to staying in the homes. I think we're going back on the ESG agenda again, but that's where the S comes in, I think. Um, and I know we're talking about care homes today, but the extra care market, the, the retirement living or the senior living market definitely tackles that S issue, which is around loneliness and depression, quality of environment, community. So again, that's something the US are way more advanced than us. Uh, in in build um, but that's starting to emerge in the UK so again it can work along, alongside claims I think um, it's not competing uh, it's but let's say it'll go back to that that social impact um, which I think again is is, is is crucial going forward the funding model in in a lot of maybe not in in the US but in Canada is different as well it's t- it tends to be the operator has a, a government contract or developer operator has a government contract where the government effectively pay for a certain number of beds. And then it's more around kind of costs and efficiency savings, really. So you're prioritizing the ability to, to keep your home full. And, and that allows you to, to invest more in, in tech and, and those kind of angles. Whereas I think everyone's aware that there is a bit of a hole in this, in this sort of social care budget in this country. And local authorities don't necessarily have the, the budget to be able to pay higher fee rates, which translates to being able to invest in in more forward-thinking technologies, particularly in homes that are already operating. Right, I think I think that's a wrap, everyone. Uh, thank you very much to Ed, Max and, and Richard for your contributions. It was a great discussion, thoroughly enjoyable, and, and many thanks for your contribution today. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear more, just hit subscribe. You'll find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Join us next time and make FRP Carecast your destination for a fresh perspective and knowledgeable insight.